I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the Weekside Podcast. I'm Jenny Rentis. I am here with Connor Orr. We are going to talk about the chaos that ensued last Friday and the lasting effects that we'll have for the draft. Connor, how's it going? Um, it's going okay. Um, I tweeted last night that I just completed a 15 and a half hour drive with two under three-year-old children. So I'm as well as anybody uh, could be, I think, after something like that. So, well, pretty heroic, Connor, that you've showed up for the Weekside podcast despite your long journeys. Yes. This is going to be a little bit of an express episode, but clearly there was a big shakeup in the draft order and also in the future plans that different teams are charting. The San Francisco 49ers sent the number 12 pick, their third round pick in 2021, and their first round picks in 2022 and 2023 to Miami for the number three selection. And so now they are expected to draft one of the top three quarterbacks in the next month's draft. And then after that, shortly thereafter, Connor, the Eagles got into the mix. They sent their number six pick and a fifth round pick to Miami in exchange for the number 12 pick that used to belong to the 49ers, a fourth round pick, and a 2022 first rounder. So there was just a a real burst of activity. I mean, we're used to the intensity ramping up before the draft, but this was one of those days when everything kind of happened at once and all of a sudden um, sort of changed the directions that we were expecting, or at least we we saw teams lay bare their plans for the future a little bit more. Yeah, you know, and I think what's interesting, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit deeper, Jenny, was that we all kind of thought that this was the Trevor Lawrence draft class, right? And that everything else was secondary to that. But the fact that you have someone like Kyle Shanahan trading up to the third pick and being happy with whomever he gets there really speaks to the depth of the class that I just don't think I was, I thought of initially, you know, I didn't think that this was a class that was three or four or five quarterbacks deep, but apparently it's, it's gearing up that way. And, you know, all the hype surrounding Zach Wilson's pro day and all the supplemental rumors that the Eagles had wanted to come up and get Zach Wilson. And maybe the jets are going to hang on to that pick because of him. I think we're learning a lot about the class and what the NFL actually thinks about these guys. And I think that was a really interesting kind of revealing part of that trade as well. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Connor, because we've heard for so long about the anticipation for Trevor Lawrence to join the NFL and that he was this once in a lifetime prospect and you had to get the number one pick. But now you're seeing that the number two and number three picks are valuable as well for teams who see an answer at quarterback beyond Lawrence in this year's draft. And I think that's a great point. And so some of the focus has shifted a little bit to some of the other guys in the quarterbacks class and almost we're we're kind of penciling in, you know, while we've had Lawrence penciled in at number one, you know, now we have Zach Wilson penciled in at number two. And so we're really shaping up for a top of the draft that might not be after these moves last week, it might not actually be very dramatic on draft day. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a good chance once we kind of figure out, and I have, I, I, I kind of have an inkling about what San Francisco is going to do, at least I think so at this point, but once we kind of figure that out, um, uh, you know, it's really up to the Falcons. The draft starts with them at four. Do you want to draft Matt Ryan's successor, um, or do you want to, you know, kind of punch the pedal on this and, and try to maximize things you have um, – you know, Arthur Smith there. And, you know, this was the Kyle Shanahan offense that Matt Ryan had played so well in. So do you want to just kind of try to maximize that and, and use those draft picks to help in that situation? So, yeah, it's just incredible. I mean, literally, you know, you could make a case that, you know, I don't know, a third of the NFL was completely disrupted by um, all this activity and, and uh, on a quiet Friday, which is, you know, we love that. But I'm sure that there's probably some GMs that were, you know, planning a nice little Maybe they were going to go to the co-op or the or the farmer's market and, and just, you know, make dinner for once, you know, be home, hang out. And then all of a sudden this trade just explodes, right? And then, you know, if you're, you know, you, you feel like, why didn't they call me, you know? And then, I don't know, I feel bad for those guys, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about the 49ers, Connor, because they really are one of the more interesting teams this offseason. Ever since the Super Bowl loss to the Chiefs and the way that the play calling indicated a potential lack of confidence from Kyle Shanahan in Jimmy Garoppolo. There have been a lot of questions about his future in San Francisco and the team continues to assert that they're not, he's still their guy this year or whatever wording they're using, but we've seen this multiple times before Josh Rosen, Odell Beckham, you know, teams make, assertions and then they can change them on a dime. So you said you think you have an inkling of where the 49ers will be going with pick number three. So what are your thoughts? Well, so I think what what did we hear immediately after the 49ers pick, right? And this could be just, you know, protection that this could be making Jimmy Garoppolo feel good. But the first thing that Adam Schefter had reported after the trade was, hey, the, he's our guy this year. Jimmy Garoppolo's our guy. We want to keep him. And, you know, again, that could be performative in some way, right? Maybe you want the Panthers or the Patriots to up their offer a little bit um, and, and maybe come at you a little bit harder um, to get Garoppolo away from you. But if not, I, I would that would lead me to believe that the guy that you're getting at number three has a higher upside, but maybe less immediate availability. And to me, that points, you know, everybody right now is saying that's Mac Jones. But to me, that would mean Trey Lance. Personally, if you just if you compare the two of them, um, you know, 17 career starts versus, you know, Lance has had his career cut short due to COVID played only one game last year. There's less that we know about him. But, you know, obviously, a lot more physical upside there. Um, and and, you know, some people comparing him to sort of this younger Patrick Mahomes type player. And so that to me is saying if you're keeping the guy, then maybe you're going with the higher upside pick. If you deal Jimmy Garoppolo, then you need somebody to come in and start day one. And I think that's a that's an entirely different set of, of qualifications you might be looking for. Yeah, I think that's a great way to read the tea leaves. And we have seen a lot of successful situations where there is a veteran guy that sort of can start indefinitely until the quarterback you draft is ready. I mean, we clearly saw that with Alex Smith. The Chiefs committed to playing him for an entire season and letting Mahomes learn. We also saw that with uh, not the full season. Obviously, the Dolphins shifted to Chua halfway through the year, but they had Ryan Fitzpatrick and at certain times went back to Ryan Fitzpatrick when they felt like maybe Tua wasn't learning quickly enough or there was a situation that he hadn't mastered. So... 
Uh, and that was the plan for the Chargers with Justin Herbert as well. Uh, didn't work out that way, obviously, with Tyrod Taylor's when he had that unfortunate, um, you know, medical staff-induced injury um, that led to Herbert Hurt starting in the second game of the season. But the point being, you know, a lot of teams like having the veteran so the rookie doesn't have to be forced into action right away. So it would make sense that Garoppolo is in their plans for this year, but clearly you don't make that move if he's in your plans for the long term. And then perhaps, like you said, Connor, if, if they get a better offer or someone ups their offer, then maybe they do move on. I, I just find it hard to believe that Jimmy Garoppolo's there next year, right? I mean, I, I just think that that's, that's got to be such an uncomfortable situation, and there are teams that need him, right, that are still out there that desperately need a quarterback. To me, that, that doesn't make a lot of sense that he would want to stay there and basically be a bridge guy where he could be a full-time starter somewhere else, especially somewhere like New England. And, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't I, – I see this as just kind of posturing at this point, though, right? I, I don't know. It feels that way to me at least. Yeah, I mean it- – What's for certain is that he isn't in their long-term plans. What is still to be determined is how long he actually stays in San Francisco. Yeah. Well, you know, it's so funny how like, you know, three or four years ago, we thought this was the beginning of an era. He goes five and oh, you know, with the San Francisco 49ers. And then it's this whole thing where, you know, they finally have their guy. And I remember... Mm-hmm. You know, this feels like a long time ago. A lot of this, ep- a lot of this show is just me going back to old hot takes that I had and uh, basically apologizing for them. But I remember saying that Cleveland will regret this day for the rest of their modern times that they missed out on Jimmy Garoppolo. This was the guy that they needed to get to ignite the franchise. And uh, yeah, they seem to be doing okay. Everything's all right in Cleveland. No, it's really interesting. Just as a marker of how quickly things change in the NFL. And when he had that hot five and O start, it was, he was on this other plane, right? And the expectations were sort of unfathomable for somebody that had that small of a sample size. And I remember I had an assignment to do a feature store on him that off season and, and I couldn't get time with him. Um, And I think it was a combination of everyone was, wary of how quickly his his star was rising um, and also didn't want, uh, you know, to put him out there that much um, because they knew that the expectations would be hard to live up to. And that certainly has borne out. I mean, clearly a factor, too, is that he hasn't been able to stay healthy since he's been with the 49ers. So whatever potential that they saw, he hasn't been able to have that steady growth in Kyle Shanahan's system and you know, with the team. And so that has certainly hampered um, some of where they thought they would be with Garoppolo. But uh, it is kind of stunning to think that already they're ready to move on. Do you uh, do you think I get partial Oracle points for uh, in my QB carousel, um, which we did a few weeks ago and we posted on SI.com? I had the 49ers trading up to number two with the Texans. Um, I had the Texans getting to two, um, thinking that there would be a trade there that didn't materialize, obviously, and uh, and then the 49ers then moving up and getting uh, that pick from the Texans um, for Trey Lance. So, I mean, I, I feel like two to three. I feel like I'm okay there, right? Like I, I feel think like that I get is partial definitely Oracle partial credit for the Oracle, Connor. Okay. I would like to award you those points. Fantastic. Um, I think the one thing... Um, 
the one team that really fascinates me at this point, and I think that Eagles fans are, and and maybe the NFL at large is going to have a hard time giving this guy a ton of credit, but there's going to be a scenario where if Carson Wentz plays well and triggers the first round pick in this trade, the Eagles are going to have one year to evaluate Jalen Hurts and see if they like him. And then they're going to go into next season with three first round picks. So they would have the ammo to obviously get up to number one and get the best quarterback in the draft if he's not their guy, or they have three first round picks to build around Jalen Hurts. And I mean, as much as I was upset with the way that they played at the end of the year. Um, it seemed to, you know, they spun basically moving down three picks in the draft into an additional first round pick. I mean, there, that's, you know, I think we'll get to the real winner here, which is Chris Greer in a little bit, but I think maybe a silver medal here goes to, to Howie Roseman. That's interesting, Connor, because it's clearly a roster that is in need of rebuilding. I think there's a lot of aging veteran players who were on that Super Bowl team and, now it's at that point where there is a lot of turnover. So I think I think you're right. I mean, they have an opportunity to evaluate Hertz and then have the capital to continue to rebuild and you know, in this new era where they have a new head coach, et cetera. But I will say, you know, they they didn't expect to have a new head coach, right? And they didn't expect to have to move on for from Wentz, right? I mean, in their mind, the ideal scenario would have been Wentz was as good as he was before his injury in that Super Bowl season, and they're not still trying to find different answers. But because things didn't work out that way, they've readjusted, and and this is the the new direction that they're going in. You seem less less hot on this. Well, I think when you when a quarterback doesn't work out, you know, I think there is some like what went wrong, right? What happened? Uh, how did how did we get from that? I'm still sorting through those answers, Connor, um, needing more understanding of how we got from that MVP caliber season from Wentz to where, where he was last year. But you can also look at it as well. That happened and it was the right time to move on and knowing when to move on and readjust is also part of managing a team well. So I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to make of all of this. I just think there's a lot of information that we're still grasping for answers about as what's really happened with the Eagles the last couple of years. That's true. Wentz's play this year is going to be instructive in terms of like, you know, if he comes out and he's an all-star um, and, and an MVP candidate, like a lot of people were projecting him to be before last season, then, okay, you know, th- that was a fundamental organizational issue on behalf of the Eagles. Yes. Um, if he stinks, it's like, okay, um, that was also a fundamental organizational issue on behalf of the Eagles, right? That, you know, there was a failure to recognize that and still sign him to an extension and to empower him the way that you did and to get rid of Nick Foles and do all that other stuff. And so I think it's sort of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. But at the same time, at least you're getting, you know, at least you're getting something back. And, you know, three first round picks is going to be nothing to shake a stick at. And and who knows? I mean, nobody knows what next year's draft is going to look like. I, I don't um, I don't like when people are like, well, this is the draft that you'd want it or that, you know, every there's good players in every draft. Um, but we'll see. I, I don't know. I think it, I think it'll be interesting. But I do think, you know, you're at least putting yourself in a comfortable position there where, um, you know, you get hurts, you give them the whole, you give them the full season. You're kind of soft tanking without saying you're tanking while still evaluating hurts. And then, you know, you're really getting a nice 
little uh, period out of that where you can see where you want to be and then kind of kind of go from there. But I don't know. It's uh, you know the I the, I don't think the Eagles are going to be down for as long. Basically, you know, I, I think this could be a really quick rebuild thanks to all the assets they've accumulated. Yeah, and you've pointed out all along that. Zach Ertz could be traded, right? And so there would be another draft pick potential compensation for the Eagles as they retool this roster. Yeah. Do you agree with me then that uh, Chris Greer is the gold medalist here? I mean, this is like, he's he's like, who weaves things into gold? Is that Rapunzel? Rapunzel, I think. Rumpelstiltskin? I mean, you're the one with small children, Connor, so you really should be up on all the fairy tales. <sighs> I know. Well, you know, the, the fairy tale game has changed, Jenny. Um, you know, yeah, I can uh, imagine. The, um, there's no interest in the gingerbread man. Um, what? Uh, yeah. Um, Was the gingerbread, gingerbread man, man canceled? The, maybe. Um, I don't actually know. <laughs> As an aside, uh, you know, we got a bunch of old uh, Disney records uh, on eBay. And, uh, you know, my daughter has a record player. And uh, a, a lot of that has been canceled. <laughs> like, like 75% of that has been canceled, you know. Like, you're sitting there playing in them and you're being like, oh, that's that's a horrible thing to say, uh, you know, about yeah. somebody or about kids or about, you know, whatever. It um, is really interesting to look back, you know, with for instance, Dr. Seuss recently and rereading and seeing some of the imagery and messagery that you didn't notice as a child. Uh, it's interesting sure. to look at these things as adults. Yeah. And so I would say that, uh, yeah, Rumpelstiltskin, uh, Rapunzel, one of those two, um, haven't really gotten into the mix. Um, you know, I was excited for all that. The, the Emperor's New Clothes, um, Hansel and Gretel, all that, but it's all very dark too, you know, like there, there is like very dark undertones. It's like the kids go for a walk and then they're, you know, eaten by a wolf and it's like, okay, well, you know, maybe we could tell a different story before bed about, you know, just sleeping well and having good dreams. And so I think that was sort of the hard pivot that we had to make at some point. Right, right. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. In, in, but I, I do agree with your general sense that Chris Greer <laughs> has, has really been masterful at, at collecting draft capital. I think ultimately the Tua pick, how that turns out though, will, will be a part of how this all works out for the Dolphins, right? So part of it is getting all of these picks. And then the second part is how you use them. And I think you have said all along, and clearly the Dolphins agree with you, that it's too soon to make a determination on Tua. He was coming off a serious hip injury. He started midway through the year. Let's give it time to see how it develops. Clearly, he was a, a prospect that had a lot of hype, and a small sample size from his rookie season should not be determinative of the rest of his career. And clearly, the Dolphins agree, because now they're no longer uh, at the part of the draft where they will be looking to get a quarterback. They will get some other other highly ranked impact player. But uh, Tua looks to be the guy they're riding with. And how that turns out, I think, will will be a, a big reflection on 
um, how this plan of Greer and the Dolphins is going. Yeah, I mean, I just think like, you know, there were some really bad games and some bad moments, obviously, but they moved on from their offensive coordinator, which to me, you know, says as much about anything. And Chan Gailey's been around for a long time. You knew what you were getting there. Um, But, um, you know, there was that Cardinals game I remember last year where him and Kyler Murray were going drive for drive and and slinging it. And, you know, I, I get that that's a very small sample size. But to me, it's like you can't look at a guy like that and think that there isn't a long-term future there. I mean, I think that you have, you know, there's obviously going to be some effort there. You're going to have to make it work. But my hope for Greer especially is that he gets a chance to even correct that mistake because we've seen, you know, it's been a pretty incredible ride there in terms of the way that they were able to rebuild. Greer was the one that took the lead on the coaching hire and, and made a great coaching hire there as well. And, you know, all those foundational pieces were put in place where, you know, even if two is not the guy, you have to give him a chance, I think, to have, you know, to get a second opportunity. There are so many GMs out there who have done so many more bad and destructive things that get, you know, such a wider breadth of, you know, uh, you know, to trial and error to build this thing. But I just think he's done such a great job in the foresight of, you know, uh, trading uh, a left tackle and basically turning that into four different first round picks by the time this is all said and done. Um, there's really nothing else I think you could ask of a GM at this point uh, to, to do for you. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty remarkable how they've uh, flipped assets and you know gotten these these impressive returns. And I definitely think they're they're set up well. And last season was exceeded expectations. And I think it's it will be interesting to see what happens this year. But yeah, I, I agree with all the, the the points that you make, Connor. I, I think he's he's done a good job in that this position. I just am curious to see how how Tua develops, which is a reflection of a lot of different things. So. Uh, And while we're in the AFC East, let's talk a little bit about the Jets, too, because clearly the Jets staying at number two indicates they are going to take a quarterback. They are likely going to take Zach Wilson. And so what does this mean for Sam Darnold? Yeah, I I mean, it's such a bummer for him, right? I feel like he was drafted into a bad situation. You know, some people that I had talked to um, about that team his rookie year we're talking about just how much of a mess that offense was how disjointed that was you know I, he- I had heard that there were uh, times when he clearly had questions um, and w- w- was kind of so and not not to his fault of his own but some of the stuff was so disjointed where there'd be two or three different calls that were called the same thing and just never you know uh, fixed and so there were times when you know literally Josh McCallum would have to go over there and it, to the coaches and be like hey this is the reason that Sam isn't getting this you have to fix this and um and and not, there not being a ton of willingness back and forth there and you know to go from that to the Adam Gase era where you know I think Adam Gase I think we both think that Adam Gase is a good play caller and a good offensive mind but just didn't have the pieces and there were injuries and the offensive line was a disaster and then you know to juxtapose your sample size there with what we've seen with Zach Wilson's pro day is just unfair, you know, and and that's really what he's working with is, you know, and and Zach Wilson's body of work at BYU with a good offensive line and a good coordinator and everything working for him. You know, you know, he looks like Aaron Rodgers. He looks great, of course, but it's like, you know, it it stinks for Sam Darnold. You know, you kind of feel for someone like that who never really got a chance. You know, there was the mono period, too. It's just like uh, it was sort of a doomed experiment to begin with. Yeah, and you talk about a lot of the factors that go into why a quarterback doesn't work out. We touched on that a little bit with 
Wentz and referring to that. Let's see what happens with Tua. And I think Darnold really is a microcosm of a lot of those different things. Missing games with Mono, like you said, fits into the injury illness category. Um, changes at the on the coaching staff. Different offensive uh, disarray, whatever the case may be. And you look back at his debut, and I remember the optimism. Was a forty-eight to seventeen win in Detroit. It seemed like this player, really highly rated quarterback, was deemed the safest quarterback from most evaluators I talked to before that draft. He, he fell into the Jets' lap, and then he has this fantastic debut. And and that night in Detroit, the future looked really bright for the Jets. So Darnold, like Garoppolo, but in a different sense, is another marker of just how quickly things change in the NFL, and also how many circumstances do you have to align for someone to thrive somewhere? Yeah. Um, But if you're the Jets, I think at this point, you know, if you're Joe Douglas, uh, this is, you know, to no fault of your own, right? This is probably a good opportunity to move on. Um, You know, there are teams that are going to be looking for developmental quarterbacks. You know, uh, you probably don't want to trade them to New England, obviously, but there are probably some teams out there that would still give you, I would venture to say maybe a little bit more than the Cardinals got for Josh Rosen. You know, you could probably get, um, you know, some pennies on the dollar back for Sam Darnold. And it's a good opportunity to move on, you know, and, and to put your own stamp on this. If you really like Zach Wilson, you know, if you like Sam Darnold, you know, we saw how significantly the price of the number two pick increased. You know, that was wild what the 49ers spent to move up to number three. And so all of a sudden, if maybe you're the Panthers, for example, or the Bears, um, if you're a team that really needs to get up there, if you're the Jets, you're still sitting on a gold mine, um, uh, like you would have, uh, you know, a, close to what you would have even if you were at number one, because the, the desperation to get up there is so great. So I think that's an interesting piece of it. But I don't know where are you leaning? Do you think he's moving on? Do you think he's holding on to it because he wants Zach Wilson, or do you think he's holding on to it because you know there's a there's maybe a Panthers surge here uh, in the waiting in the wings. Definitely think they're going the Zach Wilson route. And I guess we'll see what happens with Darnold. I don't know what the return will be, how how much of a market exists for Darnold right now, I think is really a big question. And that will sort of determine what happens to him. Does does he stay for this year or um, are they able to move him for uh, what they would deem an acceptable return? Yeah. It's always, there's just that, you know, it's, it's going to be weird when there is not a palpable sense of organizational intrigue with the Jets. You know what I mean? Like, there's just going to be this quiet period where everything's okay, you know, and they have their guy, and maybe this is it. Um, you know, so I, in a way, you're kind of rooting for that, right? Because that is something that we've never, as, as people who cover that team in that market, it's like it would be interesting to see them sort of on this long ascent instead of these like very jagged highs and lows that we've experienced over the years. Well, a long way to go before we feel like that period is over, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, we do have a, a long way to go there. Um, I don't know. What was your uh, just sort of to put a bow on it? What was your favorite aspect of this? Like what was your what was your favorite part of the trade? Um, what did you think was um, kind of the most interesting thing to come out of this? And I don't know, what was your kind of big major takeaway here? Well, I think it's always interesting when these things happen weeks before the draft and teams are just kind of, 
you know, we, we see so often everyone holds their cards close to the chest and maybe, you know, what moves are expected take a while to sort out. But here we are a month or so before the draft. And now we have a much clearer sense of what teams are going to do. And I also always find it interesting when these things all just kind of happen on the same day, you know, they cluster together and all of a sudden there's a flurry of activity because this period of time, it's kind of, it can be slow, right? There's just a lot of speculation and nothing really happens until the week or two before the draft. So seeing it happen a month out, I think was interesting. Yeah. Um, I like that too, uh, you know, Urban Meyer is basically just coming out and saying, yeah, I'm drafting Trevor Lawrence, um, exactly. which, <laughs> which I enjoy. Um, and, you know, I encourage all other GMs to follow suit, you know, just, you know, just because my mock drafts have been so bad that I need a little bit of help. Like I'm 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 not tired of being clubbed by Jenny in our uh, uh, Jenny Connor Albert mock draft yearly challenge. Um, Dr. V uh, is the reigning champion of our mock draft battle. Um, and, and I'm, I'm more than happy to, uh, to finish second finishing third. However, has been frustrating. Um, and so I would like the opportunity to move up a little bit. And so Joe Douglas, if you want to just, you know, also kind of drop the poker thing here, you know, and just say, we're taking Zach Wilson, that guarant that locks in two out of 32. Like that's, that's a, that's better than I could have said I did last year. And so, um, you know, I just need like, you know, I, I'd like, like an eight, an eight would be, you know, really something, you know, an eight would be, and it would, would put me on solid footing here. And so, you know, I'd like more GMs to just kind of come out and, uh, and and let me know who you're drafting, what you're thinking, you know? Yeah, yeah. Any direct hit in a mock draft, Connor, is a big win, so. Well, yeah. Are you are you uh, excited? Uh, both of our mock drafts are coming up. Uh, you know, we both have... Uh, we both have them on the docket for the schedule. Are you, are you excited to, you know, uh, get your title back? Connor, I dread the mock draft every year. I don't know anyone who doesn't dread the mock draft. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Me neither. Let's just uh, be honest. Let's call yeah. it what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah. Well, I don't know. It was a fun It was a fun little uh, slice of... Uh, I found myself just slacking uh, editor Mitch. Like, I was just... You know, if we were in the office, I would have been shaking him, you know, out of excitement. You know, because the, the, tra- the trades un- were fun. It was fun. I was, I was jacked up. You know, it was a quiet, uh, typically a quiet portion of the NFL filled by, you know, pro day minutia. And so that was good. I was, I was jacked up for a little bit of that. I was, I appreciated the, uh, I appreciated the, the, you know, the movement, you know, to create something in the void there. It was a good, good on you, John Lynch. Nice. Yeah. Work. Well, it's great breaking it down with you, Connor. Good analysis as always. And we will be back next week with a full week side podcast. So thanks everyone for listening. The Weekside Podcast is me, Jenny Vrentis, and Connor Orr. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody. Mark Moravik is the Emeritus Executive Director of the MMQB. Our theme music was written and composed by singer-songwriter Ryan Harris-Brown, whose latest album, Stranded in the Present Tense, is available now on all major streaming services. Keep up with the Weekside Podcast by subscribing to our new feed. And while you're there, leave a rating and review. It really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Radio.com, Stitcher, or wherever else you find your podcasts.